0: Back to Quaid in Full, the podcast with all the Fox to give about actor Dennis Quaid. I'm Sarah D. Bunting, and I'm here with regular P.T. Barnum, Jeb Lund. Hello again, Jeb. Hello, Sarah. Okay, so today we are contemplating Tough Enough, which has had the um, dubious distinction of getting uh, the fabulous T Birds. Tough Enough, spelled differently, stuck in my head, I'm going to say for two weeks. <laughs> two and a half days for me. Two and a half days, but it's been
1: like really every moment where I have silence, which is really frustrating because I don't have a lot of them on account of the child. And then there I am in what could be peace and serenity. And it's just tough enough just over and over
0: and over. Yeah. I'm sorry.
1: (laughs) Hey, look, it's better than like thinking too much about WWE superstar Maven from the first season of WWE's Tough Enough.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, this uh, this film is a tough one to Google and not get a whole bunch of that ancillary Garbaggio that we've uh, also been talking about. Speaking of ancillary garbagio, <clears throat> <laughs> 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 seems like you haven't had a whole lot of spare time lately to listen to the Renaissance or check out what Twitter tells me was a fascinating parent trap reunion on Zoom. Oh. Have you consumed either of these cultural.
1: I did have time. Up. I did have time. I swear to God, but, and you're not going to believe me, but, and some listeners may not know this or remember this. I don't know if it actually made the air on one of these, but I adopted a dog. So my son who's, you know, quarantining with us can have a buddy and, uh, she's just very spirited and likes chewing cables.
0: Oh. Um,
1: so like reorienting the, the actual electrical plugs in the house. Uh, you know it was like serious job number one and then like kind of worrying about your earbuds was job like eight uh, uh. and so my, my dog ate my earbuds <laughs> and like there's no way right that i'm gonna like you know because like the only time i listen to podcasts is when i'm like mowing the lawn or driving or riding a bike or doing some other exercise and there's no way i'm going to do that like while holding the butt end of my iphone up to my ear Because, like, one, it's going to be really dangerous. (laughs) You're not a real housewife. Come on. Right. And, like, or, you know, I'm not, like, the cover of Super Tramp's Breakfast in America. I'm not going to be, like, bringing you a tray on the iPhone, right? Wow.
0: (laughs) Deep cut. Hey, look, if you remember Tough Enough, you remember Super Tramp. It's fan (laughs) service. (laughs) Yeah. You're welcome, all three of you. Uh, I have not consumed Either of these fine articles either, but apparently there's going to be an inner space one because I guess where we're at in 2020 is that every group of people that ever work together is going to get on a Zoom and someone's going to record it and it's going to be a complete and utter waste of time. Unless it's the Manson family, like somebody you really wouldn't expect to get together to do like a big public kind of reunion. Like, remember when? they kind of did there's that series running right now on epics but also who can even find epics <laughs> my cable provider
1: just went yoink with epics so i'm kind of pissed about that but like is there really a thing
0: is there a yeah wow what's it called yeah. uh it's called helter skelter clever uh-huh. mm. okay yeah i mean it's not bad but it's also not you know why are you you right it's not like he's going to get parole.
1: Yeah. It's also not Quaid. It's the other podcast, which is like yeah. getting bleed.
0: You want to talk about Tough Enough? Sure. <laughs> um, how about a plot summary? Sure. While I am uh, reading this, perhaps you can bail me out of the rut I got into trying to come up with c- like country-flavored Rocky puns. <laughs> like, it's Rocky Top. It's Grand old Rocky he's like a stone mountain out there i don't know yeah i mean i don't know like we reworked the lyrics of the rocky theme i'm entrusting you with this i'm gonna read this um summary from frankfob 2 at yahoo.com because why wouldn't i an aspiring country western singer whose money is disappearing faster than his career opportunities enters a tough man amateur boxing contest to earn some cash to pay his bills amazingly enough he wins it and is picked to go on to the national finals he's torn between his first love music and the glitz glamour and money of the tough man world um glitz and glamour like this uh, is frank fob robin leach's burner account interesting interesting choice of words provocative question all right <laughs> I'm smiling and I don't know why. Um this uh, also does not note that uh nowhere in the list of loves is his actual wife <laughs> or their kid. Cool, cool. To priorities. be fair, the, the kid
1: isn't in a lot of the movie. They're like, you know, he's he's with somebody. He's say oh he's with the grandparents, I guess, but Right. Yeah. He and his wife have a very bohemian lifestyle for somebody with a kid who's walking and talking. Like, uh, there's a bathtub frolic with a wide open door that is just not tenable. <laughs> if you are that kind of parent.
0: <laughs> Sorry. These are the things we seize on. Um, yeah, it's basically corn pone Rocky, I guess. Or Rocky meets... Bring it on. Like, I don't... There's like parts of it that are not that Rocky ish, but there is definitely a montage and there's definitely a faux Rocky musical moment that I don't understand, given that the guy is supposed to like he's fundraising for his music career. He's a country Western singer. Why mm-hmm. isn't the music country Western music that they play over this? Also, Dennis Quaid wrote his music for this, apparently.
1: No kidding. Yeah. Yeah. That explains why there were lots of clips of him performing the song from this on YouTube, just not this.
0: Yeah, I don't know what to tell you about that. I can tell you that reviews were gentle, but not particularly positive. Here's Martin Liebman from Blu-ray.com. Tough Enough is a classic middleweight motion picture that finds no novelty in story, no depth to its characters, no appreciable drama, and a plot that's so linear it could be used as a straight edge. (laughs) I'm sorry, did I say these reviews were gentle? I was mistaken. (laughs) Seriously, if there was ever a movie that lacked even a single original idea, one daring deviation from the norm, one character not pruned straight off the stereotype vine, this is it. Uh, well, at least Martin Liebman had a good time writing this, I think, even if he did not have a good time watching uh, the film. Most of the reviews are like that. They're like, shrug, Rocky in a cowboy hat.
1: The uh, the Maslin, the Janet Maslin quote that I think still makes it under the preview. I mean, you can go find it on uh, the Times website. But when you said gentle, I thought of that and I was like, that's not gentle. It's a, a very dull boxing movie with no other distinguishing features.
0: yeah but then Roger Ebert gave it three stars and seemed to be really sifting through it for Mm -hmm. good things to say possibly out of pity because it was released the same weekend as Return of the Jedi which whatever else you think about Ewoks they're going to shit stomp a movie like this that is not in fact actual Rocky product Mm -hmm. so yeah I thought it was mostly disappointing. Like it didn't go full derivative fight sequences are really long and repetitive, but in a way that I almost enjoyed because I was able to kind of watch them to see how they were made, like to see how the fight call was constructed. Mm -hmm. But the rest of it is kind of like the Quaker Oats guy disapproves of his Choice to, and then he's on board with it. And then uh, his wife said, you know, frowning Adrian, and then she's proud of him and helps him limp off the stage after his victory. Like, I, I don't know. It just yeah. didn't seem to do any of the things it was poised at times to do.
1: Yeah, it's neither fish nor fowl. And it demonstrates that it's smart enough to have made the choice and to have continued to make good choices and i think that kind of makes the parts where you're like the rocky thing is a perfect example the end is basically like copyright compliant rocky music and a copyright compliant rocky 2 ending uh, yeah. but before it when they're running around like the uh the big the black like um uh gm building in detroit uh on the like lakeside, right he actually uh-huh. runs up some steps i've actually been there like i took a family photo like right there it was sort of funny but um he like runs up some (laughs) steps and and then he does the rocky thing and his trainer pt coolidge uh, played by stan shaw stan shaw goes like okay rocky you want to keep training so they demonstrate an awareness that rocky exists in the universe and that they are engaging in these rocky tropes and then at the end of the movie they're like you're not gonna mind if we do that right (laughs) and i do mind you told me that you could have
0: done something else yeah and that you were aware that you should be doing something else. Um, yeah. Here is the um, Rocky of Michigan theme. Uh, during this sequence, I'd like to know there's a whole bit about them running beside and then being on a cable car. I don't know if this is a Detroit feature, but if they're, you know, if the, like, Geography Council of America was, to, was sponsoring this sequence... Not totally sure they got their money's worth. Anyway, uh, here is clip two, warning, 80s yackety sacks, ahoy.
1: I mean, yeah, it's not quite Carl Weathers and Stallone hugging on the beach, but it is I mean, I'm not going to lie. It is erotic. Powerfully.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I was getting more of a um, Joan Crawford running in the summer in a full sweatsuit and Mommy Dearest (laughs) Uh, (laughs) 5. Sorry.
1: Not that sorry. uh, If I I may, like, as long as we're talking about raw physicality here, um, (laughs) I will say that, like, Quaid is just like, he's a really, really, really bad boxer and like not like a, well, this is what an amateur who could make it would look like unpolished. I mean, he's really bad. Like he leans over with his whole body, takes a lunging step. Like he's trying to do like a calf stretch and then does like almost like this full swing with his right arm. And it's such a wide and slow punch that like three separate Mexican boxers could land a body blow in the time it takes to land, right? Like, it never gets better. I and mean, that the first thing you see it, when he's punching out these guys at the honky-tonk is he's practically, like, hurling himself to the ground with every punch. And then that's the way it is for... Even in the last fight, he's just this, like, windmilling thing. And, like, I'm not a boxing expert. If, like, if I'm picking up on that, like, maybe work just a little harder in your fight choreography, especially if you make a point of saying that he boxed a little in college.
0: I did not necessarily i mean i agree with you um you're you know queensberry compared to me but um there was a certain tennis ground strokes feel to the to the choreography for sure yeah. um i guess this is just how it's done in the movies sometimes like you you work with what you have but at times especially in the bar sequence and this may be entirely because Dennis Quaid is also in Breaking Away, but in the scene in the dining hall, I guess, in Breaking Away where Daniel Stern has his hand stuck in a bowling ball and is trying to fend off Freddy <laughs> Bubiletti's with his hand stuck in a bowling ball. The blocking was kind of like that to me or reminiscent yeah. of that. It's not what you want. <laughs> no, it's not. And there's, I mean, there is a lot, unless... You are with the boxing promoter or the tough man promoter, Warren Oates. And they're having this like Socratic dialogue about the ethics of the tough man competition and like using each other to get ratings and money, Mm -hmm. which seemed a little, I don't know, like, is this a PSA about... A possible CTE causing activities I, I don't really f- feel yeah. like we needed a couple of iterations of that conversation we might not even have needed one
1: yeah we have we have tough enoughs. Chris Nowitzki for CTE stuff now so we're like step off earlier tough enough <laughs> <laughs> I'm Chris Nowitzki and odds are if you've met me in the last five years I've asked you after a few minutes a bit of an odd question can I have your brain
0: Yeah, Uh, there is one sequence that I really enjoyed because it's among the gold standards of how television talk shows are used for exposition in 80s movies. So I'm going to play a clip and then I will get your comments.
2: And we're back with James Neese and Tony Fallon, the originators of the National Tough Men competition. And we also have in our studios this evening five tough men, and their mates. Mr. and Mrs. Truman Wall, Mr. and Mrs. Art Long, Dick Compton and his lady, Gay Bob and a close friend, and Harry and Mickey Johnson. Mr. Niece, if everything you two say is true about these fights, why is it that they're still barred in so many different states? Well, I think that's uh, <clears throat> the politicians and the uh, periphery thereof uh, haven't figured out how they're going to get their cut. <laughs> I see. <laughs> Isn't it true that one fighter died and another man lapsed into a coma as a result of taking part in your tough man competition?
0: So there's a lot there. Um, gay Bob and a close friend. <laughs> Delightful. <laughs> Who And then I believe
1: Dennis Quaid ends up fighting Gay Bob. The bit where instead of like smashing gloves, he offers the red rose. Okay. This is part of another point I had, so don't let me take away from this clip, but uh I did want to kind of talk about the the wrestling and kind of carny aspect of this, which I thought was pretty well done. But anyway, I'm sorry, you were saying about the clip. Oh no,
0: go ahead. Because I was gonna just say that there was like a um ravishing Rick Rude, like top note to gay bob that I found familiar and enjoyable. So please proceed.
1: Yeah, I the the whole like the wrestlers go on or like the meatheads go on. Mike Douglas thing is also like periodically happens in pro wrestling. And and of course, like journalism has always had a fascination with boxing. Uh, so you do get those and like <laughs> people who are not capable of like having a long discussion about the ethics of their sport because they're unwittingly being exploited by it. And they're like, yeah, but my wife looks nice. Um, the thing I liked about that <laughs> yeah. Ebert review was that he was saying like, hey, you know, this is one of those things that flares up around the country periodically, like, uh, you know, as sort of a curio. And yeah, it's a rocky derivative, but we got this and he liked the carny atmosphere of it, and I did too. One of the the bits that I thought was just delightful was listening to Mr. Neese and uh, and his partner in setting up the Tough Enough just rattle off this list of competitors.
2: How's the bearing going? Great. Got a cowboy versus an Indian, an accountant, statistical Norman, we'll put him against Oscar the optometrist. We got the battling burger chef versus Mondo Chandovar taco parlor waiter.
1: <laughs> Sounds good to me. <laughs> it's just such... It's just I like, totally it's, missed that. It's like a Harvard, you know, writer's room kind of joke, but also like the sort of thing where you you might see in pro wrestling, like um, a WWE, when it was still the WWF, had Erwin um, R. Scheister, who was an IRS accountant. That was mm-hmm. his... Uh, his uh, his initials they had um, to make fun of the parents television council. They had the right to censor. They had Isaac Yankum, DDS and evil dentist. Like, so they, they do do stuff like this. And, uh, and, and like, just to see these guys sort of going through like, well, what, what kind of ridiculous
0: thing do we want to put on this? Ah, That'll work. That was fun. I think there was actually a movie in here that was more interested in the fact of these curios like um that sort of hands on hard body world yeah that that would have been more interesting and warren oats actually is like he tends to have like two notes and it's the same note just one is a little louder than the other <laughs> one but i feel like this character was fully realized and then chopped down in favor of tournament collages yeah so i if the movie were about him, then I'd be interested. But as it is, I, I feel like we're just in this, we're just stuck in this room with Dennis Quaid here in 82 to 83 where like there's music happening and there's a disapproving partner who's like, well, you got to grow up and make us some money and I'm, I'm ready to leave. <laughs> Well, you know, I was
1: thinking about that, because the Ebert review, he slams the uh, the character of his wife, Caroline, uh, played by Carleen Watkins, who I don't think I'd ever seen before. But as soon as I saw her, I was, I was like, I've seen this actress 1,000 times. It felt very familiar. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure if it was just her delivery or what. But Ebert does the, like, well, you know, she's just a, a negative Nancy thing. And I thought of, like, the, the thing that we bring up, like, whenever the cop's wife is like, why are you being a cop? I didn't get married to you yeah. for you to... Be. But this is like legitimately different. He had a he was a musician who had a tree trimming job and lived near his folks and like obviously had some support with his dad. And he's like, I'm gonna go get the shit beat out of me by some of America's foremost meatheads for up to five thousand dollars if it things go well at first. And that's a lot. Like, that's a lot to sign up for. And and like apart from their the, the, the kind of fight that you get dropped into with them instantly that felt really rushed. And I wanted it to breathe because it didn't feel like it tonally fit with people who've been together for a while and have been having the same fight. Apart from that, though, like all of her annoyance with him is legit. And then she's, you know, she comes back to being forgiving. Like there's an actual kind of lived in nuance there that I think kind of belies the shrill character that Ebert describes. And, and I. I don't know. Like maybe it just rung falsely for you in a way it didn't for me, but that felt like a like a healthy and nice relationship. Apart from like scromping in the bathtub with the door open,
0: yeah, and uh, fully clothed also. Yeah, well, that's the really perverse part. <laughs> yeah, you can tell I'm old, and I'm like, isn't that a leather belt? What are you doing? Do you still have your wallet in? <laughs> I'm gonna have to dry off your diner's card. <laughs> I don't think that she... I don't object to her being like kind of frowny cop wife because she should have known what she was getting into. I just think... I mean, and I think that maybe Ebert puts it this way. We'll link the review in the show notes. But the issue is the... Whatever the motivations are, it's like this character is not given enough other things to do for that not to kind of feel like... Now we're in the other movie about the tensions in the marriage or about how, you know, that this is the second act conflict. I I don't know. It just didn't quite, but this is on the movie and not on the character or her performance. Like, she seems fine. Have making her actually yell the phrase, stop the fight. Like, again,
1: from the Talia Shire seats in the arena, you know? Yeah. (laughs)
0: with the same lipstick on like guys (laughs) do this or don't yeah stop stop being on the line this is another one in this season where it's like okay like you set out to do this thing you completed this thing and i don't care and don't need to revisit this ever again but it wasn't bad it was just yeah eh. and i've been
1: wondering about that it was something that like David and I talk about on our Hallmark podcast is like how much we've been housebroken by their own content that like now any sort of deviation or creativity like seems so lush. (laughs) Like, oh, how look how much time they had to do this or something. And I kind of feel like maybe, you know, just years upon years of like, it's either a blockbuster or it's like this alienating indie movie with a searing Vangelis like soundtrack in which people are sort of like wandering into darkness or something, you know, like it's it's either or and the the idea of having like this kind of pleasantly lived in slice of reality where the stakes are low and you go in to be entertained because it's a movie and you have 90 minutes like these seem maybe a little rarer and i'm like oh how delightful
0: that we're just doing this like yeah it wasn't that good but ah yeah like there's a few this is how ebert puts it that he's like there are a few things here like if you sift through the clay (laughs) Okay. That, no, that cat box metaphor is not going to (laughs) work. Leaving it. There are a few (laughs) things that if you sort of sit with it when you have no choice, as critics do not, but that strikes me as something that maybe is happening with him or what's happening with him in this review that it's like, well, since I have to be here, Mm -hmm. today is a focus relentlessly on the positive nuggets day I did have one other just
1: note about the movie before we get into the ratings that I wanted to point out. It's that Wilfred Brimley is only seven years older than me in this, and I am so not ready for that. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> I wanted to look it up because like there's always that joke about, you know, like Wilfred Brimley was like 12 in Cocoon or whatever. Like you think, oh, he's, <laughs> yeah. he had to be so old. It turns out that he was like, you know, 51. And in this, he's like
0: 49. I'm like, oh, oh come on. <laughs> oh no wait really he's 49 in this i think so oh fuck my my math is not great right oh jesus well i mean by the math i'm using i am therefore going to be dead soon so we should rate this okay before that happens i i kind of feel like i want to use the ebert scale of like what was it
1: trying to be As opposed to, you know, I don't think it's an arty movie. It was meant to be kind of like a nice, you know, not entirely fresh whack at the, the Rocky structure. And so it's around like a 4.5 or a five, like it tried the right things and then it would just not try. And, and for every moment where I was like, Oh, you know, that's, you, you showed some thought and a little care here and you did something different where you could have been lazy. I, I like it. And then the next scene, they would kind of take that away from me. So just down the middle.
0: So four and a half or five? I like five. All right. I'm going to go with a four because there was a lot of repetition. Like I I understand they can't give distributors a 71 minute movie, but maybe someone should just start trying to do that because <laughs> I feel like I say this a lot that it's like if you're if you're done, <laughs> just be just be done. It's fine. Also, Return of the Jedi is coming out, and nobody cares what you do. Like, f- put it in the projector upside down. Fuck it. <laughs> also, egregious wasting of Ms. Pam Greer. Yeah, she looks really good though. Yeah, so like- <laughs> yeah, for me, it's a four.
1: The Quaid thing, though, I think is going to be difficult with this one because you know there's yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I I I'm not. Sure where he is because he he has that kind of like not iconic, right, but like archetypal sort of quade character of like some person who's just a little too lazy getting himself in trouble or just doing something without thinking about it and then being charming or lucky or just blessed enough to kind of get through. And the scenes when he's singing to his boy and his boy's bouncing around the bed, and he's very obviously sort of enjoying the fact that, you know, he's riling the boy up when he should be putting him down, like, <laughs> All those seem like much higher order Quaid. And then other times he's definitely almost playing like a Chuck Jones animation version of him, of himself. Like I almost expect him to turn his head and have the head turn, but the mouth, which is dropped into an O, remains facing forward for a second before it snaps and catches up and he runs huh. to the other side of the ring. Like There is this kind yeah. of rubberized aspect to him, which I mean, it probably, probably the fact that his face is getting tenderized for a large part of the movie <laughs> reinforces
0: that, but I don't know. <laughs> yeah that there was like actual literal rubber on him for like to have the cut to keep the cut there yeah so I, I don't know i don't know i'm i'm curious what you think first whether you're curious or not here are some of his song stylings from before he gets um hit with a ketchup soaked wad of hamburger bun and starts fighting like he's got a bowling ball in his hand here's clip four we do I'm not seeing it it is fascinating to me how often quaid appears to have been able to require films to include his music this early in his career
1: maybe he just had a uh, an agent who is willing to follow weird orders and only look for things where he had to play music i don't know but like it is strange how many
0: I mean, I'm only on season two with you and like, what is this, the fourth movie? Yeah. He's got a guitar? I think you're right. Either that or um, PJ Souls was more powerful than even we knew, but I suspect that after this and Jaws, someone, somewhere in his orbit was like, you can you can keep insisting on this part or you can be a star. Yeah. Decide. Again, the singing is serviceable, not bad. Well, um, Decision well taken to stay in his lower register. Uh, mm-hmm. Lyrics are a little on the nose, you know, kind of unbeknownst to him. As far as how weighty it is, I mean, this isn't that coasts on charm and then becomes quite irritable when coasting ceases guy that we're used to. Yeah. There is a little charming bit where he's going around the house. He's gotten paid from the first act, the iteration of the fighting. And he's like going around sort of tucking money into all the appliances and greeting them. That is I mean, it's like charming but it's not really Quaid charming. Exactly. It's more like he wasn't Bill, which is also not quite Quaid charming.
1: I mean that, that could have just been a script note, right? I mean, he makes it a charming, but like that isn't the, the Quadian inspiration. He's just I'm just saying he could be following orders.
0: Yeah. He also is texan and is in texas mm-hmm. <laughs> enjoy it it will not last but it's a boxing movie he's got his shirt off and little satin shorts on a lot of the time <laughs> that's i mean that's maybe not Quaidy, but it's <gasps> bunt nip <laughs> how do i how do i grade on that yeah do you, I, I mean do you want me to go first Sure. I mean, I,
1: I think I'm like around a four. It feels like a step down, like from other movies you've already done. Like yeah. Bill at least was a step down that thematically called for it. But here, you know, so many of the bright parts for me are the bits where, you know, what I expect are, are is coming out.
0: Yeah. I mean, I don't want to be too um, doctrinaire about like the wolfish smile bit. Mm-hmm. He is headlining this. So that's like, that's a step forward. He is shirtless, as I said, and will probably say again. And he has a couple of those grins where I'm like, this is an accident. It's like a baby who's gassy, smiling kind of thing, but it's, I mean, it's close. So, but I, I can't go a whole lot higher than a four, but I'm going to go a little higher. I'm going to go a five. Okay. Anything else to add about Tough Enough i did make
1: a note of this because it's the first note i could make it takes 14 seconds to see clearly defined breasts in this uh and then that's like the next two <laughs> minutes of the movie
0: <laughs> like,
1: yeah like you he... don't even get i think his his name hasn't even fully faded from the screen or maybe like the title card for the movie like the actual movie title hasn't faded from the screen when brawless wife beater dancing yeah, breasts no, just go right to the lens and you're like oh okay yeah it's like airplane it's
0: like the crash scene in the aisle an airplane i mean given that like the the print that we were watching which was like someone just like scraped it from a from vhs tape onto youtube yeah so the print is kind of like widgy and bad and then we were about to do jaws 3d an episode right after this and i really was like so i mean is this a three is this when we put on the glasses? (laughs) <laughs> the boobs really seemed like they were coming for me <laughs> and you gentle right. listener <laughs> well uh enough about 3d boobs <clears throat> next time on Quade in full we're gonna need a quaidier boat it is in fact just 3d in the meantime check out our show notes and follow the podcast on twitter at Quade in full pod Wondering when your favorite quade joint is getting covered or want to advertise? DMs are open. Quade in Full is hosted by Sarah D. Bunting and Jeb Lund and edited by Jeb Lund. Don't subscribe yet? Stop the fight to sign up wherever you get your podcasts. And please rate and review Quade in Full so other people can find it. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.
2: singing tough man on national tv what the hell do you want
0: a lot there gay bob and a close friend <laughs> these curios like um that sort of hands on a hard body world yeah and uh fully clothed also yeah, well that's the really perverse part <laughs> yeah i <laughs> can tell i'm old and i'm like isn't that a leather belt what are you doing do you still have your wallet in <laughs> like, I, <know. laughs> I have to dry off your diner's card. <laughs>